Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen and amen, as we normally get to do, and we're doing virtually, uh, wherever you're joining us, uh, all over the world, we want to welcome you to Palm Sunday here at Calvary Chapel South Bay as we continue uh, meeting virtually until we come to the end of this epidemic that uh, has affected all of us. I pray you are well, pray you're keeping your eyes on Jesus. Pray that the Lord would just strengthen you in this time where we're isolated and doing things a little differently. Don't know about all of you, but I can't wait uh, to see all of your faces here in the sanctuary, Uh, the handful that are here right now pretending that they are all of you are certainly a blessing, but we cannot wait to see you back here in God's house. I want to remind you that we are beginning Passion Week. We're beginning Easter Week. And so this week we begin with Palm Sunday, Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem for the final week of his life. We'll continue with Good Friday. And so next Friday we will be meeting virtually again at noon and 7 p.m. as well. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you have the elements of communion Uh, at your own home, wherever you're gathering. If you have a small gathering of people over to uh, do church together on Good Friday, then uh, have enough for everyone, but we will be partaking of communion uh, because we shouldn't forsake that simply because we're doing church virtually. And so I want to encourage you, make sure you get some grape juice and some bread and be ready to celebrate uh, even a virtual communion service As we continue with the Easter story, Connie and I were talking this morning as I was getting ready to leave to come down here to to do this service. Uh, We were on a plane flying back from Israel and in last year, and uh, we had the privilege of having Chuck Neighbors here doing a drama for us. But this particular day on the Christian calendar um, is very, very unique in that as Jesus came to Jerusalem, uh, this was not a happenstance. This wasn't chance. This was not uh, a series of events that swept the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords up. It wasn't the plot of the Pharisees. It was not the Roman government. Uh, there, There was no thing that was pushing Jesus towards Jerusalem save the will of his Father. And we pick up that story in Mark chapter 11. So if you'd turn there, Mark 11, we'll take the story from Mark principally, but we'll also be in Matthew and Luke and John as well, as this is the second of two events that are recorded in Scripture by all four gospel authors, and the first being the feeding of the 5,000. But this particular event is so important that all four gospel authors cover it. And so we'll begin today by praying and seeking the face of the Lord as we see the Messiah revealed. Father, we thank you that you sent 
your only begotten son into this world, that the world through him would be saved. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a random Passover celebration. Now, this certainly wasn't a coronation like the world knows of coronations. This was the crowning of the king. It was the pivotal moment in human history when the Messiah was revealed both to Israel and to the world, simultaneously being seen by hundreds of thousands, if not a million or more people. And so we turn our attention to your word, and we pray that you'd speak to us through it. We ask this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Verse 1, Mark 11. Let's read it together. And now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, and so if you travel to Israel, one of the things that becomes very clear uh, is these, these places that we see in our Bibles that seem to be far apart and far between are not. And in fact, the Mount of Olives is a stone's throw really from the Temple Mount. And on the east side of the Mount of Olives are these two little towns that we would call them, but really they were hamlets. They were just a handful of uh, dwellings occupied by a few people, one being Bethpage, the other being Bethany, which is the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so Jesus is coming from his friend's house. He's coming from that direction, from the east, over the top of the Mount of Olives, descending into the Kidron Valley, and then eventually to the southern steps and into the temple itself. And so he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the village opposite you. So he's still up on the Mount of Olives, and there are some small little villages, and people were living there. And as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat, and loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say to them, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. And so Jesus gives a command to a couple of the disciples to go uh, and bring the mode of transportation. Jesus has walked predominantly everywhere he's gone throughout uh, his entirety of his nearly three years of ministry that he's done primarily in the north in the region of Galilee. And so this is the first time that we find Jesus actually riding on a donkey or riding anything for that matter. And so they went their way, verse 4, and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing that colt? And as this would be certainly one of the most valuable possessions that anyone would have, you can understand their concern when they see a couple of strangers donkey jacking. Um, taking, taking this thing that's very valuable and getting ready to run away with it. And they spoke to them just as Jesus commanded, verse 6, and so they let them go. Gives you a picture of the command of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. What Jesus speaks as God is going to happen. He's still sovereign Lord. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and cut down the leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Save us. God, save us now. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were expecting, they were anticipating that Messiah would come. The Jewish people had been waiting. They had understood for nearly a thousand years that one day Messiah would come and he would take care of all of the inequities that had been foisted upon the Jewish people. And during this day and time, they certainly would have to deal with Rome. They were looking for a conquering king, a military ruler, if you will. And you can see who they're actually looking for in verse 10. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The very greatest ability to praise God that he's going to save coming through the kingdom of David, the great king. The, the king that had delivered the Jewish people. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And so when he had looked around at all things, the hour was already late and he went out to Bethany with the 12. And so Jesus makes a descent of the Mount of Olives And you have to kind of picture this from the standpoint that they would have understood it at that time. And as they descend down the the Mount of Olives, the the Mount of Olives is not some gigantic mountain. And when we travel there, we go to a little parking area that's up near the top. And we normally take our whole group and we go down a paved road that's very narrow called the Palm Sunday Road. takes 15 minutes at the very most to walk from the top down to the bottom down to the Church of the Agony, the Church of All Nations, down to the area that would have had the Garden of Gethsemane and the Kidron Stream. And so Jesus, as he makes this descent and then goes across the stream and across the bottom of the valley and over to the eastern wall, the eastern gate would have been open at that time, though it is closed today, walled up um, by by the Muslims in the 1500s to prevent Messiah from coming back through. Jesus would have gone around to the south end, the tallest end, the parapet of the pinnacle, as we know it in the scripture of the temple. And Jesus would have come to the southern steps. And at the southern steps, he would have entered in uh, first to the court of the Gentiles where the money changers would have been. And we would see him uh, flip over those money changers' tables. But one has to ask oneself a question. How would people have perceived Jesus at this time? Because they're shouting the right thing. They're saying the right thing. They're they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're obviously looking for Messiah. They, They understood that the Messiah would also be of their father, David. So both priest and king. And yet, here he comes on a donkey. No royal entourage. And and you can almost imagine as people began to shout, those that were in front, Scripture says, and those behind were shouting Hosanna. And as he descended, you can almost see this kind of like a wave in a stadium. Whereas the people that were nearest him were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the next group would hear it, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the next group, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was Passover week, and so the city was crowded. People were camping under every tree and every bush. 
But many were asking, and we'll see this in Matthew's account, who is this guy? Who is this man who's with this ragtag band of 12 disciples that are going to go to the Temple Mount and then leave and go back to Bethany? Some kind of religious zealot? You see, not everyone had been in Galilee. They hadn't seen Jesus perform miracles. But they had heard people shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Was he some kind of mystic medicine man, some kind of healer? Was he the head of some donkey cult? Was he actually royalty and yet riding on a donkey? Was he some kind of wandering itinerant preacher? Who was this man? And that is actually the question that I pose to you right now. Who is Jesus to you? You see, to me, he's Savior. He's Lord. He's my King. He is the one who was. He is the one who is. He's the one who is to come. He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Passover lamb. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You see, to me, to we who believe, Jesus is everything. But to these people, they were trying to figure out who Jesus was. And so in some ways, as they cry out, they're actually simply echoing what everyone else is saying. And as we're sequestered in our homes, as we're not gathered together as a group, I have to ask those of you who are watching online, who is Jesus to you? Who has the king been to you? You see, it doesn't actually matter who he is to me. It matters who he is to you. I know in whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to keep me, to keep that which he has committed to the day of Christ Jesus. I know who Jesus is to me. And I'm sure many of you do who are watching. But this is a question for everyone. This is a question for your neighbors. This is a question for our world. Our world is yearning for answers. There's so much uncertainty and so many things being blown into monumental circumstances right now in the news media. And as difficult as this time is, and as hard as it has been, for us to be sheltered in place, the question still remains. Who is Jesus? This was actually the true coronation of a true king. This wasn't some arbitrary event. This was the mission that the Messiah came to fulfill. And it was coming to a close. He would pay on Good Friday with his own life the ransom price of our souls. And so as he comes into Jerusalem, as they drew near, it says there in verse 1, to Jerusalem, to Bethpage, to Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, as he drew near, this was always the plan. There was never another plan. This wasn't an accident. 
Jesus didn't arbitrarily just decide to go into Jerusalem because he had nothing else to do. This was a divine plan from the beginning of time. In the beginning, Jesus was the Savior. In the beginning, he was Messiah. We have recorded for us in John chapter 6 the words of Jesus. And he's speaking of his own mission. And it says there in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven. Jesus was the son who was given. Isaiah was right. He was speaking truthfully. He's also the child that was born to Mary. Grew up in the home of Mary and Joseph. Along with his family. But Jesus came down from heaven. And he said, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. As Jesus came down the Mount of Olives, as the crowd proclaimed him king, he said, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, of it I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes. You see, that was the question on Palm Sunday. Do you believe who Jesus actually is? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Is he the one and only Christ? Is the only way, truth, and life? that he who believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will, Jesus said there in verse 40 of John 6, raise him up also on the last day. You see, Jesus is going to die. But that's not an accident either. That, That wasn't the careful plotting of the Pharisees. It wasn't Annas and Caiaphas. It was the plan. It was God's plan. And as the people have gathered now in Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands, certainly, maybe a million or more, as they're lining the the road coming down the Mount of Olives, as Jesus comes from the home of his friends, as, as he's been with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany, Scripture reminds us in John chapter 12 that he'd been there six days before Passover. So he had spent, in essence, a week with his friends. As he faced this week where he would give his life a ransom for many. As Mary would anoint his feet. As Judas would complain about the cost of that fragrant oil that was put on Jesus' feet. As he would moan about what it could do for those who were poor when really what he wanted was the money for himself. It would be Jesus' words that would say to Judas Iscariot, leave her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. It's about to happen. And so as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's coming because that was the plan. That's what he came to do. Jesus would be crucified on the 10th of Nisan and Passover week that year. He he would fulfill 
the actual role of the Passover lamb. And now he's being welcomed into the homes of these people. Just exactly as the Passover lamb would live with the family before it was finally slaughtered on Passover. So Jesus with his friends. So Jesus, as he descends down the Mount of Olives and heads towards the Garden of Gethsemane, so he would be welcomed by this massive crowd. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was the incredible precision of prophecy that we were seeing unfold right before our eyes in this passage. Matthew records it this way in chapter 21 of Matthew's gospel. And then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village. And he gives much the same account of the words of Jesus. But in verse four, it begins to take a little bit of a different tact. And Matthew records for us, all this was done that it might be fulfilled of that which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Lowly sitting on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. And so Matthew records the words of the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 and in verse 9. And it was from there that the disciples did as Jesus commanded him. So God had told the Jewish people that their king would come on a donkey. This was not something that was just thought up at the last moment. Well, we don't have any other mode of transportation. There's no camels. There's no throne that people can carry. None of that was going on. This was the plan. And in essence, as Jesus says these things, he's initiating his own coronation. He knows what the word says. He knew exactly how he was going to get into Jerusalem that day. So it wasn't this enthusiasm of a, of a mob mentality. His life, exactly as Mark's gospel records for us in chapter 10, was being given willingly a ransom for our sin. God the Father is looking at this whole scene going, that's my son. He's doing exactly what we've always said would happen. You see, sometimes I listen to the fanciful stories that people tell about Easter week and they forget that God had all of this mapped out. This was not the craftiness of Pontius Pilate. It wasn't the incessant badgering of the religious leadership of the Jewish people, specifically the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. It wasn't the Sanhedrin. It was not the Pharisees or the Sadducees were just brilliant thinkers and they came up with a plot and they got Jesus to come. God himself had mapped this whole thing out. So much so that Daniel the prophet had reminded us of this event, this coming of the Messiah and even gave us the timing of it. And he timed it with chapter nine and chapter two chapter 9 in Daniel's uh, prophetic writing, and in chapter 2 in the book of Nehemiah where King Artaxerxes makes this declaration, returning the Jewish people back to Jerusalem. He says it's going to be 69 sevens 
It's going to be 483 years, and then the king will come. And here comes Jesus in, in exactly that time frame. The, the moment was established in heaven. And it seems to us to be incongruous when we look at this. It's like, how, how could God use something like this? How, how could Zechariah have it nailed down 500 years earlier? Well, because Zechariah was led of the Holy Spirit to write the things that he wrote. And they were perfect according to God's plan. Daniel was inspired of God by the Holy Spirit to give us the exact timing of this event. And so here comes Jesus. Seven weeks and 62 weeks, Daniel 9.25 says, 69 weeks of years. And so when that decree went out by Artaxerxes in 483 BC on March 14th, and so all of a sudden here comes this incredible picture of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It wasn't an accident. It was perfection. It was the Lord reminding us who Jesus actually is. You see, the question still remains, who is this? Who is this? You see, if you think it's just an accident, or if you think it's just a historical figure, or if you think Jesus was kind of a hapless martyr, or if you think that Jesus somehow was like all other religious leaders and he just simply was a really good one, then you lose the emphasis of what Scripture has actually declared because Scripture declared exactly when Jesus would come and exactly how Jesus would go into Jerusalem and exactly that he would be born of a virgin and exactly that he would be God's son and exactly that he would be born of a woman as well. The exactness, the precision with which God told us these things is so that we could know who Jesus is. I didn't want us to have to guess. And as Zechariah wrote these things down some 500 years earlier, one of the beauties of the Dead Sea Scrolls is there in cave four, we have yet a scroll of Zechariah's prophecy that's been dated to 198 BCE. And so we know that these words were known to the Jewish people before they ever came true in reality. Before Jesus did these things, they knew he would do these things. And so scripture begins to record the totality of this event, and it begins with the praise of his subjects. Verse 6, and they spoke to them just as Jesus commanded, and so they released the donkey, and all of a sudden, as Mark records and as Matthew records, here comes Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And interestingly enough, as they're enacting this kind of what seems to be almost a, a meaningless event, a parade, if you will, that doesn't seem to fit the king of kings, they were actually doing exactly what they would do for any king, every king, any ruler. If you were going to show your subjugation to a ruler, you would throw your garments in the road. And it's just to say, look, if you need to trample over us, we're under your feet. 
They would offer up palm branches. This ancient customs that you can find in 2 Kings 9, chapter or verse 13, as the citizens would throw their garments on the road, the monarch would drive over them. Those garments were often the most expensive things that they owned outside of their livestock. And they're saying, look, you can have what we have. You can trample over it. We're yours. And so the people were in essence saying, look, we honor you as king. We believe you're Messiah. The problem is Jesus wasn't going to be the kind of king that they wanted. And within less than a week, they would go from shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would go, we don't want this man ruling over us. Now, why is that? Several hundred thousand people shouting. We, we don't know how many were lining the road. We don't know how far this went, but we do know that Jerusalem was crowded for Passover week. And, and as his 12 disciples are traveling with us, there's this tribute, and as they pull out the branches, whatever they could find and throw them in the street, as they're saying, look, we've been conquered. You're our Lord. They were doing the very same thing that they had done when they came out of Egypt. When they had finally been released from Pharaoh, one of the things that they did to celebrate was to take palm branches and wave them, we've been delivered. And they would read these Psalms of Ascent, the Hallel, which is where this comes from. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord's anointed is here. But the problem is within a few days, they began to realize this guy's not going to conquer Rome. Oh, Jesus came to conquer, but not Rome. He came to conquer sin and death. He came to do that which was the, the, the most wonderful thing he could do for us. You see, if he had just simply conquered Rome, then there would have been another despotic ruler to take over in Rome's place. And there was, and there has been. There always will be rulers on this earth of men. But Jesus defeated our greatest foe. My sin nature and yours. And the penalty of it, which is death. And unredeemed, that death would be eternal. And in its place, he's given us eternal life. And Jesus didn't come to make war. You see, the people were looking for basically another Judas Maccabeus, whom they had also spoken these, these psalms of ascent over about 100 years earlier. They were thinking, great, another Judas Maccabeus, and he's going to take care of Rome. That wasn't what happened. Jesus didn't start an insurrection. He didn't tell everybody to go get swords. He didn't clamor about war. He didn't strike dead the Roman army. Oh, he could have, but he didn't. He didn't come to make war with Rome. He came to give us peace with God. 
far greater thing. Jesus actually is going to go on to say, look, wars and rumors of war, you're going to hear of those things forever until I come again. But you need to have peace with God. You see, the question still remains, who is this? Who is this? As Matthew records for us, instead of this ragtag group of ordinary people, as instead of that being Jesus's cabinet, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, if you're relying on these guys, forget about it. If you're thinking we've come to establish some new kind of government, forget about it. Oh, you have the right words. Hosanna. Save us now. But really the issue is, who is saving you and to what end? What is it that's happening You see, for me, when I said yes to Jesus Christ, to his lordship, I was saying, you are my savior. You saved me from my sin and you've made peace with God. You see, that was my real problem. In other words, he is my king of kings, my personal lord of lords. But the people were looking at Pilate. The people were looking at the Roman eagles that had been propped up on the corners of the Temple Mount. The people were so heartily set on being freed from the things of this earth that they forgot about their bigger problem. You see, the problem with the people was they were concerned more about getting something from Barabbas than they were about having their sins forgiven. Their their great concern was the things of this earth. And maybe today you're saying, man, I just can't wait for this coronavirus thing to end. I'm with you. I'm with you. But that is not our biggest problem. My biggest problem is without the grace of God, then I'll face the wrath of God. Without salvation through Christ Jesus as Lord, if I do not acknowledge him for who he is, if he's not my king, then my sin remains. My life will be forfeited eternally. It won't matter what I achieve in this life. It won't matter if I survive the coronavirus. It won't matter whether I hold the highest office in the land. If I remain a sinner without salvation through Christ Jesus as Lord, if he is not my king, then my sin remains. You see, the Romans admittedly were godless. They were cruel. There was a reason to dislike Rome. There's a reason for us to dislike many things in the world right now. I personally am getting to where I can't even watch news of any kind. I don't care whose it is. I've reached that place where the moment someone purporting to be speaking for the government begins to speak, it's like, oh, it's time to turn it off now, honey. I'm just sick of it. I'm tired of it. But that's not my biggest problem. 
My biggest problem is I'm still a sinner and I still need a savior. My biggest problem is still my own wicked, wretched heart. My my biggest problem remains to this day. Apart from the cleansing flow of Christ's blood, I'd still be dead in my trespasses and sins, but he has made me alive. You see, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he came to do a far greater work of deliverance than getting rid of Rome. He came to deliver me from my sin, to deliver me from damnation, to deliver me from darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. The question remains, who is this? The question remains, who is Jesus to you? You see, a lot of people praise Jesus because of his morality. A lot of people praise Jesus because of his words. Many people praise Jesus because of his works. But the real reason to praise Jesus is he is my Savior and my Lord. In that sense, the crowd was very perplexed. You see, because the Bible is very clear. One day, every last knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, It won't matter where you dwell. It won't matter where you are, what country you live in, whether you're alive or whether you have passed on and are awaiting judgment. One day you will acknowledge Jesus as king. The question is, will it be too late? Will you be beyond that place of grace? Will you have defied calling him Lord while you're still alive? Will you have stopped short of acknowledging him as king? You see, the book of Revelation declares very, very clearly in chapter five that one day he's gonna come and he's gonna open that scroll. He's the only worthy one. He's the deed holder to the earth. Our Congress does not rule this country. There is a ruler above them. There's a reason that our forefathers said all men are endowed by their creator. Didn't say we've been endowed by the Congress or by a presidential edict. We were made in the image of a holy God. And that God sent his own son into this world that those that believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Who is this? Matthew 21 records those words. And when Jesus had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? Who is this? 
But oddly, strangely enough, the crowd then didn't get it. They said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Well, that's good. He was Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's true. But if he stops there in your life, you have missed who he actually is. If that's all he is, if he's just another prophet, you see, Islam teaches he's a prophet. Hinduism teaches he's another prophet. Buddhism teaches he's another prophet. Mormonism believes he is one of God's many sons. There are all kinds of wrong things for you to believe about who Jesus is. The question is, who is this? Is he the one and only son of God? Is he the way and the truth and the life to you? Is he the only name under heaven whereby men may be saved? That's who came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It wasn't just some prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. It was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The only one who can save. The only name that is able to save. And wherever you're watching right now, salvation can come to you if you do not know the Lord. If you've not acknowledged the king, if you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, the question for you right now is who is this? You can bow your knee right where you are. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ is the only way and the only truth and the only life and no one comes to the Father but by him. He's not just a prophet. He is the only way that anyone will ever see God. The question remains, who is this? If you will simply acknowledge who Jesus is, that he is God's only son, that he came to this earth expressly to die in your place, substitutionarily on Calvary's cross, taking the penalty of your sin upon him, and in the place of your sin, placing his righteousness in your account, thereby declaring you just, making you right before a holy God. If you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will do that right now. But you have to believe, who is this? For me, he is my savior and he is my Lord. He is the only one to whom I owe my total allegiance. He's the prince of heaven. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And he's coming again. Now you could say, well, well, Jeff, that way is too narrow. The prophet Isaiah understood exactly how narrow that way is. And he said 
Go tell this people because they keep on hearing, but they do not understand. They keep on seeing, but they do not perceive. Their hearts have been made dull. They see with their eyes, they hear with their ears, but they do not understand in their heart and they will not turn and be saved. Now you might be saying, wow, this is some kind of way to kick off Easter week. Yes, it is. Because Easter is meaningless. It's about bunnies and chocolate and dust masks if you don't know Jesus Christ personally. It's about Easter baskets and colored eggs if you don't know Jesus personally. If you don't know who this is personally, then Easter may be the most meaningless of all holidays. But because of who he is, it is the most meaningful of all holidays. For me, Easter is the prime week of every year. And I ask you again, Who is this? Again, we turn to the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 50. Verse 5, it says, And the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious and did not turn away. You see, Jesus had volition. But he came to do the will of his Father. And as he gazed on the Temple Mount, as he looked at the city of Jerusalem, verse 6 of Isaiah 50 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my my face from the shame and the spitting. Why? Because one of the sayings that we will cover as we look at what we call Good Friday is Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why? Verse 7 answers that of Isaiah 50. The Lord, my God, will help me and I will not be disgraced. And therefore, I have set my face like flint, for I know I will not be ashamed. That prophetic word is the heart of Jesus coming to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Razor focused on the cross. Church, you can either honor him now in submission and bow because God has highly exalted him. Above all names is the name of Jesus. Above all kings and kingdoms is the name of Jesus. Above all this world has to ask and offer is the name of Jesus exalted in everyone who will declare that he is my savior and my Lord. That's why every tongue will eventually confess So you can either hail him as king now or you will bow to him as conqueror when he comes again. 
and church, those listening, watching online, if you don't know Christ, we have pastors online. You can see in the edges of the margin of the live stream, the live chat there, you can go and be prayed for. But you can pray right now to receive Christ. You don't need me in your living room to do that. You can cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I recognize I cannot save myself. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sin and come into my life. Impart your Holy Spirit into my life and save me from my sin. I declare that you are my Lord and I will honor you with my life by serving you for the rest of my days. You can pray that right now. For the rest of us who know the Lord already, let's give him the honor due his name because he is our king and he's worthy of being our king and we owe him everything, church. So let's worship him this week. Though we're doing it online virtually, the same spirit that dwells in us earnestly to do all things is with us all, joining us all together, heart to heart, life to life. We are still the church. We're still meeting. So don't miss this opportunity to make this week the best week of 2020. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we have come, and we ask right now for those that have been listening, they've heard the gospel, the good news, and Jesus, you want to save many. I believe right now your Holy Spirit is working a work of salvation and redemption in many lives, and we pray that they would cry out to you Lord, that they would give their life to you, that they'd make contact with someone uh, to tell someone that they've made this decision. And God, uh, if they would so bless us when we get together to come back to this place to worship you, we, we would welcome them with open arms. But Lord, wherever they are in the world, plant them in a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church. Lord, we pray for salvation to come. Lord, to this great house that's virtual. And Lord, for those of us who already know you, God, let our faith be made real in these last days. Would your work grow in our lives so that we can accomplish much? Lord, we're looking for your return and we want to be as a bride who's ready. And so Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing. Bless us as we embark on this journey this week, as we come to the cross and then to the tomb. Lord, fill your church with the Spirit. Make us alive unto salvation and good works so that the world can see who you are, Jesus, and answer that question, who is this? You are my Savior and my King, and it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.